Hello and welcome back to the Red Special Guitar Podcast. I'm John Underhill and if you haven't been here before, we talk to people who've been inspired by Brian May's legendary Red Special Guitar. Now on that, I'd like to say that actually a massive congratulations should go out to Dr. Sir Brian Harold May CBE on his recent knighthood in the New Year's Honours list. Well done, Sir Brian. We salute you. Uh, much deserved and we all think that it should have been something that was done a long time ago but well done to you for your not only your involvement in music astrophysics um, and animal welfare which is something very close to all of our hearts and um, yeah thank you so much for all of the things that you do for us i'd also like to say thank you to all of the people that helped me run the podcast um first of all dan thomas for providing me this lovely lovely cover to my microphone also to my 27 patrons on patreon who really do help the channel keep going and make sure that we're continuing to put more content out, reaching further afield and have more technology to do things in a better way. Now, if that's something that sounds like you would be interested in, then please head over to our Patreon channel. There is a link in the description below. For as much or as little as a cup of coffee per month, you have full access to know what episodes are coming out, who we're recording with. You get to chat to me and to all the other patrons. You also get a chance to ask me questions and offer suggestions and also ask questions of the other guests that are coming up so that you can give me suggestions for questions for them. So it's absolutely fantastic little community that we've got and it all really helps me to keep going and keep pushing on with the podcast. Now without further ado and that's enough of me rambling I would like to introduce our next guest today and we're very very honoured to have the wonderful and legendary Mr Tim Staffel from from 1984 and Smile, who knew Brian May originally. So that's make sure you're sat comfortably, get a drink, maybe do that first, turn off all notifications on your phone and welcome with me, Mr. Tim Staffel. Um. Ladies and gentlemen of the Red Special Guitar Podcast, today we are absolutely honoured to welcome an original member of the band, Smile. No, it's not Brian, who we've already spoken to, or Roger, but today we meeting up with Mr. Tim Staffel, who, what an honour to have on the podcast. Welcome, Tim. How are you? Thank you so much. I, I, I always wince when people say it's an honour because I don't feel as though I am. Um... I, I warrant um, such respect, but I'm flattered nonetheless, and thank you so much. I'm very well. I've just come back from a physio session for my dodgy knee, and uh, I'm really in good shape for a 75-year-old. See, <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, you said about your knee, you were um, in Spain recently, and you had a problem, you ended up in hospital. Is that... Wow. Well, yes, we have a... my my. My son Andrew, um, who is a, a fluent Spanish-speaking expat British resident of Barcelona, has been my drummer on every album I've, every solo album I've made, and we are closely connected musically, both both intellectually and physically. Uh, and so, so I spend some time in Barcelona. Uh, backwards and forwards for various reasons and in fact uh, when we come on to it later Wayward Child my third solo album was recorded in Barcelona but I was there briefly before Christmas and uh, the poor old knee 
um, decided that it didn't want to continue existing in the configuration that it was in. <laughs> so it popped out for the third time. And I found myself in a Spanish hospital being, um, being hacked about again, uh, which, which I have to say, on the evidence so far, I think they've cracked it. Uh, um, well, um, shall we say, uh, uh, euphemistically speaking, they've cracked it. it. It feels good now. It feels better than it did beforehand. So I've got high hopes. I'm not going to be entirely confident until another couple of months have passed. But at the moment, I think we're doing okay. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're on the mend. I know we, we arranged to speak to you before Christmas, but we obviously postponed it for very good reason. I'm glad you're better now. Well, the, I, the, the day, one of the, 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 the second day I was in hospital over there, I was supposed to go to Lille in northern France to, to do a personal appearance at a show called We Lille Rock You uh, with a load of other luminaries and a, and a big audience. And I had to end up recording a, um, a, a video at the hospital bed saying, sorry, guys, I can't make it. And I really was very, very disappointed in that because I really wanted to go and see them. And, you know, and it, I, it's kind of fun, this, you know, and, and I'm not sure that I warrant the interest but uh, fully, but what people want to t want me to talk to them and, and, and occasionally sing to them, I mean, I'm up for it, you know. No, it's good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> normally on the podcast we would ask the guest how they first heard queen but i think that's probably a bit of a silly question for yourself um oh. so i <laughs> as you were in the band that preceded them so i was going to ask you about um your memories of meeting roger and brian and forming smile and, and how that that went about if that's all right uh, yeah i mean yes it is it's, it's odd i mean in fact because of what i was doing at the time my my memories of of the inception of Queen and their early development are actually quite sketchy because at the same time I was on the road doing my own thing and focusing pretty intensely on my own music at that time. So uh, we were kind. There was a divert. We were diverted from each other, you know, which and we never really regained that until later on. But when I was at school with Brian at Hampton. We were schoolmates. We were just, we were just school friends in the sixties. Um, he, uh, admittedly, he was in the year above me. We were at a bit of a, we were at a kind of a, we were at a private, well, a private grammar school. We were, we were at a, at an exclusive grammar school. Um, Brian deserved it. I didn't. I was a hooligan. <laughs> he he was a swat. Um, but nevertheless, we were friends and. And it was the 60s. And, you know, I always think to myself that, you know, there was a cultural revolution in the 60s, a street level cultural revolution. It included music, art, um, fashion, uh, film. And it grew out of it grew out of the the evolving disillusionment of the Second World War. You know, as soon as we got to 1960, people started to relax a bit after having after having had 15 years of wondering whether the whether whether the anxiety they felt during the war was going to 
stay or or go people started to relax and the the cultural revolution started in the 60s and when brian and i met it, we, we we were so fortunate in those days that that we could consider being artists uh, musical artists at, at a street level if you if you see what i mean there was a a, a huge explosion of bands local bands there was um the, the the media was the media was increasing and improving all sorts of things were on the up and brian and i just happened to connect with a band that he was working with and there were some other school friends there who worked with it and this is 1984 which you will no doubt know of and for for three or four years we supplemented our pocket money by playing paid gigs locally in a, a little covers band um uh, uh at uh, where do we, we used to play at um church church halls uh the rowing club in part the vesta rowing club in Putney. we would play we did god i can't i can't remember we just did a lot of random gigs here and there and had a lot of fun doing it and got paid not very much admittedly but relatively a substantial amount in those days compared to what our parents begrudgingly um eked out to us at the end of every week <laughs> and it was great you know and and of course um when, when we moved on to tertiary education i went to ealing art school Brian went to Imperial College, but we had a plan to continue together as uh, connected musically, mainly because the other members of the band, uh, because they were also moving on to tertiary education, they were geographically split up from us. So 1984 couldn't have continued. I mean, admittedly, the drama was still local, but Brian and I had a different view of things we we i think we wanted to form a power trio i i took over bass i i had been the guitar player but i took over bass um and and brian and i then decided that he would put an ad on the notice board at uh, uh the student notice board at imperial college for a dry heavy summer wanted you know and roger came to the audition uh and as luck would have it he he wasn't he was no slouch and when we first saw roger play Brian and i were i thought to us how can we strike it first shot out of the box you know we don't need to we just don't need to audition anybody else we've struck gold we, you know the metal detector has pinged on a on a hoard of norman coins the first time we got it out of the box so uh, you know it was um it was pretty fantastic i mean he was a heavy flamboyant excellent drummer and we knew that we'd we'd um we'd struck gold and uh, and then for the next 18 months smile plied its trade uh, in a in a similar eclectic um collection of gigs here and there we we added some of roger's local um 
uh, environment down in Truro to our to our uh, field of operations. We did loads of gigs at Imperial College. Uh, we even did the Albert Hall, uh, which was a pretty extraordinary thing. Um, and uh, and um, and then and it well, the history is actually quite well documented now. But it was uh, it was a good experience. I mean, the only person who ruined it was me when I decided to move on. You know, it's a shame. I, but uh, it's it's easy to say, well, you know, what would it have been like if 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 Smile had continued? Well, I can guarantee you, it would not have been as it would not have been as stellar as Queen was because I'm no Freddie and I never was. And uh, and I would only have, and even if I, supposing I had stayed on as bass player, I'm afraid oh, I was no John Deacon either. <laughs> I, 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 it was, I know it sounds a bit disingenuous, but it was a really good, it was really good that I got out of the way. Um, and I, and in any case, I, I, I just, I had a different view of things. I, I had an early trip to the States, w which lasted for some four months. And I, I found myself, I found myself, well, can't almost seduced by American music. Um, I, 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 in 1970, which was just after I'd left Smile, uh, Ry Cooder's first album was released. And that was an absolute game changer for me. Uh, I, 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 I went from, I went overnight from playing, almost overnight from playing, um, from wanting to play uh, uh, um, how can I put it? I, I suppose stadium rock, you might say, but but um, flamboyant rock and English rock and roll. I went overnight almost to thinking, no, I don't, <clears throat> actually don't want to do that anymore. I, I, I really like this. I really like this introverted bluesy style of, of playing. I mean, and, and one of the reasons for that is that it isn't so disciplined. And I'm, I think I responded to that. I, I mean, I, I do like the improvisation. I've since become a huge jazz lover. And and you know and 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 I really do like the ability to play a song differently the next night. If you see what I mean, yeah. I, I, I write like that as well. I, I, I my the my songs are a vehicle for people to improvise, and and Queen songs and Queen songs are not Queen are very defined theatrical pieces that have that have clear um clear segments and and clear arrangements and i probably i mean another reason why it was good that i left was i probably couldn't have managed that discipline you know and i'm not saying that they can't that they haven't been able to extemporize on stage because goodness knows freddie was phenomenal at, at being able to um, present that material in a in a in a totally free and loose way, um, but I wouldn't have been able to do that. And uh, and and as I say, I was the points switched over, and I went on to a different track, and uh, and and I've remained that way ever since. You know, 
So j just going back to you early or young Tim and Brian being friends, were you friends with Brian um, before he built the Red Special with, with his dad or were you there when he was building it or would it, had it been completed? Yeah, I, I was, I was, I, I think I, I think I came on the scene within, within maybe six months to a year of him finishing it. Um, uh, I, I it's a bit difficult for me to recall. I mean, so much of so much of it is mythological now. That, <laughs> yeah, you know, that uh, that it is a that it's a bit. Uh, I do remember this that uh, Brian and I, when we were writing, for instance, uh, or when we were jamming together or whatever, we we both had acoustic guitars. And uh, uh, Brian had a decent one. I had a not so decent one. But one of the things I remember that Brian uh, did with his acoustic guitar was he he had the bridge. And we were looking at an ordinary, not a jumbo, an ordinary small scale acoustic. I mean, quite a quality acoustic. I, can't, I couldn't tell you um, the, the make of it. But he took the bridge, the flat bridge that is glued to the spruce top of the guitar and he and where the bone bridge itself it usually sits he took that out and he carved a selection of grooves maybe four or five grooves uh, it parallel to where the bridge had been and then he strung the guitar and he put a lighter flint under the, each string with in a much better intonation than the plain bone saddle would have given him. So I was mightily impressed at this because actually what it effectively meant was he had better, he had a, an acoustic guitar with much better intonation than your average acoustic. And I subsequently did the same on my acoustic <laughs> guitar. So um, it was a homage to Brian. But I seem to remember that he did a similar thing with the uh, the bridge on the early red special. He he had a an improved method of intonation. I, can't, I mean, I without I don't own a red special, but uh, I can't I can't think at the moment, thinking about it, what he actually did. I think he, I think later models of the red special just used the standard Gibson style. Um, uh, ABR bridge, but I don't know. I, I, I'll, as soon as we finish, I'm going to check that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, the original's got six individual aluminium blocks at different heights, and then there's five grooves cut in each one, and there's a little roller he handmade on a uh, drill as a lathe, and he used to plop the the bits in. So right. as the that's right, that that's exactly right, and 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 you know what I mean by lighter flint, don't you? Yeah, yeah from a from a Zippo or something. That, that's that's an exact that's a properly engineered version of what he did on the acoustic guitar exactly and what but what would happen with that of course was if a string broke the the rope would ping out and fly across the room because <laughs> it wasn't trapped yeah um mod, modern you know the gibson bridge the the um as you know the 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 bolt goes through the saddle and in fact if you buy a roller bridge like a shallow roller bridge that's almost exactly like like a like a heavily engineered version of Brian's original original yeah. bridge. Yeah. Did, did you um? I mean, it's the Red Special podcast. We'll talk about the Red Special a little bit, and then we'll 
we'll yeah, talk yeah. on other things. But did, did you ever? Get, obviously, I'm guessing you played it and you. Yeah, yeah, I did, and plug, plugged uh, it in. And... Thing, I, I mean, I'm, the 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 lower bout on the red special is actually really rather large. Um, I, I, I Brian's a big guy. I. I mean, he made it for his own, for himself. I'm a little short, fat guy, and I and the the and I think that I I personally would find the red special a little on the large side for me. But I did play it, and I do remember the the fretboard, which I think he he I think he coated it in layer and layer of plastic, but it was as smooth as glass. Yeah, uh, and um, uh, as I recall, and uh, and it was a lovely guitar to play. I mean, in fact, actually, the action is a bit low for me, I yeah. think, because, well, because I, I these days, I, I do quite a bit of finger picking. And if you've got low finger picking, it can be counterproductive. So my my guitars, and I've got quite a few, um, I, my action is a bit, a bit, uh, I, I, I raise the action a bit. But there's no doubt about it. I mean, the, the, the red special is a, is a, a class act. You know, it's a very classy instrument indeed. Yeah, it's so. It's, I mean, it's inspired loads of well, a big community now. There's about five thousand people on an online Facebook forum all around the world, and we have a annual meetup in the UK. We had sixty-five people with people coming from America, Japan, Canada, Mexico last year. Good. It's um, yeah, it's it's a big old thing now, and yeah, it's absolutely. I, I mean, I tend to think of it as a rock guitar. Yeah. You know, I mean. It, it's not a blues guitar. That's why I, I, I sometimes feel as I ought to be apologetic for not owning one because I ought to, <laughs> I ought to express solidarity with Brian by buying one of his guitars. But I, uh, but I, I kind of think, well, it's, it, it isn't. It just isn't my style. You yeah. know, it, it, it isn't. I, 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 I probably will buy one. To be honest with you, to mention, <laughs> I probably will. I probably will out of solidarity. I think, yeah. but. Um, but right now I don't own one. And <laughs> the more we talk about it, the more I'm wondering why I don't. No, I'm guilt tri- I'm guilt tripping you into buying one, Tim. You are, you are. <laughs> well, I'll give uh, you some recommendations because there's lots of different ones and varieties you can go for. And uh, well, uh... I'll tell you the one that I the one that always fascinated me um, uh, is that on on. Um, Good old fashioned lover boy, the, the top of the pops version, the top of the pops video. I was, I remember watching that because that's the song I really like of theirs. Um, I, I remember watching that and I, I remember looking at Brian, and there was a close up of Brian playing, and I remember looking at it thinking, hey, hang on a minute. Those switches are not the black slider switches that Brian put on the original Red Special. And I remember stopping the video, and it's not very good quality because it's, it's top of the pops back in the day, so it's it's you know low res. And I kept looking. I thought, hang on a minute, they look like they look like silver rocker switches. And so I then went into it. So then Google comes into play, and I went mm. and I discover from research that that is actually a Greco uh, version of yep. the Red Special. And and I know, and I know Greco <laughs> because Greco um, Greco make. Or made um, at most, I think. I mean, along with Tokai uh, and Bernie and Orville, they make a, a, a very, very good Les Paul copy. Uh, and uh, and so I, I, I'm very respectful of Greco. 
uh, and I thought, wow, that, <laughs> that you know, and I, and I know that there were early models were Burns, were made by Burns, and I also know that uh, uh, that he had a couple, he had a couple made, didn't he, by a by a, a Lufia, uh, back in the day. Um, yeah. uh, but are there? Oh, oh, and didn't Guild make a couple as well? Guild made some as well. Yep. Um, yeah. Some, in, um, yeah. There's a couple of really famous Guild models, and then there's in more recent times Greg Fryer. Um, he built a couple of replicas, and oh, then he did. Now he's he's Brian's guitar tech, isn't he? Uh, he Whoa. used to be so um, oh. from 1998 up until a point in the mid early 2000s. Greg was involved, and then um, Brian's moved to a chap called Andrew Guyton from Guyton Guitars. Oh, okay. Who now makes makes the Red Specials, and um, Pete Malandrone is is Brian's tech. But yeah, Greg oh, was yeah. the first person to restore the guitar in 1998. Um, right. So yeah. it's a, a wealth of knowledge, and Greg made a couple of variations, and then there's a few more been made over the years. But um, Andrew Guyton made twenty made the guitars for the Bohemian Rhapsody film, and recently okay. made twenty one working replicas of the two periods. So the 10 of one and 11 of the other period to sell um, oh, off of yeah. that. So um, they're the, the much sought after red specials at the moment because he, he x-rayed the guitar originally and he's copied right. every detail and, and yeah, gone yeah. to absolute town on it. Well, that, that's what you call nerdy, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's, that's what this this podcast is all yeah. about. <laughs> oh, I mean, absolutely. Oh, I've got nothing. No, I mean, listen, I'm the, I'm, in uh, so far as I go, I'm I'm I am so I'm such a nerd myself. Every with everything, with all sorts of things, I love it. I love that kind of attention to detail. It's right. just it, it makes life worth living. It's a fascinating thing. It's when you start getting into the minutiae of there's two different types of switches that were made around the same time that Brian put his side switches in, and one's ever yeah. one's like two mil higher and one's two mil lower, and you. You're looking to try and find the ones that are two mil lower. It makes no difference because the switch is exactly the same, but the actuator is different height, and yeah, you want yeah, yeah. you want you want the right one, don't you? Yes, you do. You do. No, absolutely. absolutely. Even if the one you want's the harder one to use. But I mean, I suppose I apply because I'm because I haven't been as closely involved with the with the red special. I suppose I do apply the same kind of nerdiness to to my guitar collection to the to to the the varieties of guitar that i own you know and um uh, uh, and um uh, and i and i'm i'm totally i'm totally on it as regards that you know i, I mean in fact you've made me you've, you've made me think well yes i could buy one but am i prepared for the level of authenticity that i need <laughs> to go to <laughs> Well, it's not going to be any good me buying one from Brian May Guitars now because it'll be an Ursatz version, won't it? Well, yeah. Well, outside of the call, I'll send you some information and um, yeah, some links, true. and and we can keep in touch over what oh, what red special great. you uh, you want to get, and then we get you back on when you've got it so you can do a review for us. Okay, great, fantastic. Yeah. Um, one thing I could ask you, um, um, remembering the um, remembering the guitar itself. Uh, one thing I, that I do recall, which I I did, I did very much like, is it's, that the neck is really quite wide at yeah. the top um, where the nut is. Uh, and I mean, if I when I buy a guitar for myself, 
that that's that's um, that's often the criteria. I mean, I don't think I own a guitar that is as that has as wide a neck as the as the Red Special has, but I I've I've had several guitars along the the way where I've I've suddenly realised that I've I've neglected the fact that the neck is too narrow and I don't <laughs> like it, you know. Yeah. And I move them on almost, you know, instantly. I I I I find that that's. Um, I find that so it's such a counterproductive. I've got a Gretsch over here that has such a narrow neck that I I, and I think to myself, oh my God, why did I buy that? You know, um, and that's got to go. That's good. Yep. <laughs> We've all done that though. The uh, yeah, it looks pretty. Yeah. I'll buy it, and then you get it home and well, buy I it. And I, I tell you, I bought I bought this Gretsch. And um, uh, and it's one of the ones with the V-shaped tailpiece, which I d actually didn't like. Uh, but it's a it's a gold top, and it, and it's got the nice Broadtron pickups on it, and it sounds really good, and it plays really well. It's got this thin neck, but I thought, no, actually, I don't own a guitar that has a big speed. Ah, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll buy a Gretsch branded Bigsby, and I'll put a Gretsch branded Bigsby on it, which is what I did, and it and it improves the sound. And, no end it love again lovely to play but still yeah. <laughs> every time i get down to towards the machine it's i'm thinking oh no i don't like the e, the, the e call here is a bit i'm afraid my fingers are too close to get oh no it's got to go <laughs> i'm glad you have the same struggles as us tim because it's uh oh, it's great isn't it it's it's um it's a it's great wonderful. leveler. We all uh, guitarists at any level have the same struggles, I think, and it's it's easy to think yeah. of of professional yeah. musicians just pick up any instrument, but we all have our favourite thing that we go back to, and if it's not quite right, when you pick up your friend's guitar, you're like, oh, I don't like that, or you pick up a friend's guitar and go, oh, that's amazing, I need that in mind, and then sell the guitar collection to buy the same thing. I know, I know. I, I'm I'm currently having a having a sort of a. A, a revelation, uh, um, a re about a sort of renaissance with P90 pickups. Um, I, I, the other week, I just because it, it was so cheap, I bought a, a Gibson Les Paul Gold Top with P90s, and I because I couldn't, and I thought oh, I must probably a turkey, but it isn't. <laughs> it's phenomenal, and I'm just keep thinking to myself. How is it the guy sold it to me for that money? Yes. I could double that money tomorrow, you know. Not that I want to. I just no. want to play, you know. But it's a fabulous guitar. Wonderful. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> no, it's such a, it's a real thing, isn't it? And I think one guitar speaks to an individual and not to someone else. And it's all yeah. down to how we approach things. It's such a great subject, though. Um, I know. <laughs> Did did you were you there when Brian went and bought and at the Rory Gallagher gigs when Brian went and spoke to Rory about using a treble booster in AC thirty was he because I'd imagine when you met him he wasn't at that point yet where he was plugged in with that with his no 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 not that specific treble booster but but Brian did always use a treble booster I all he had I think he had a he had a Vox one that was a. A, a, a long an elongated like an elongated it was about the size of a mars bar with a jack plug at one end and a socket the other end and you a, a, a battery in it 
and then it had a, I think it had a switch on the side. I, I may be wrong, it may not have been a box, but it, it was an integral part of Brian's sound, as I recall. And he's always like, he's always like that. He's, his sound is really cutting. It, it, it cuts through everything. And I, 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 I always remember, I've got to tell you this, um, which is not specifically related to the treble booster, but when we were recording the Amigo album, and Brian came down and did his bit on them. He brought, uh, I think that was when, did he have Pete with him then? I think he, he brought an he brought an AC30 with him and he, he put it in the vocal booth. And we weren't recording, we were recording, we were recording directly into the desk on the Amigo album, uh, with occasionally through a pod, uh, um, through a pod thing. Um, but Brian brought his AC30 and put it into the vocal booth turned everything up full and then and then played his bit it was fantastic and then we and then went and we and so then we were we were we were messing around with noise gates trying to get rid of the hiss that <laughs> <laughs> was on the top but we but it, but you've you've heard obviously you know that album but the sound is fabulous yeah um on those both those tracks it's really great no yeah. it's... anyway no i didn't yeah. I, I knew he was a fan of Rory gallagher well we all were you know, and I'm and I'm often, I'm often uh, reminded of the of the quote by Jimi Hendrix when someone asked Jimi Hendrix uh, who the best guitarist in England was, he said Rory Gallagher, <laughs> which I think is uh, pretty amazing, really. Yeah, very. It's a, a great endorsement for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So he's a lovely guy, Rory Gallagher, too. And I mean, I, I'm I'm I belong to a I belong to a um a Facebook group called Don's Don's Tunes, I think it's called. You may be. It's worth checking out. Uh and he's he often posts a memory of Rory Gallagher with usually quite a bit of raw what Rory says. And it's really great to and that's such a shame that he's that he died, you know. I mean, I'm afraid he drank himself to death, as far as I understand. I hope I'm not doing him a disservice by suggesting that. But um, but he was he was so on the ball, you know, in, in terms of the well, what he wanted to do and, and and how he went about doing it, and and such a great player, big fan. Brian always speaks very highly of him. That he, they gave him the time that they would stay back and. And ask him how do you make that sound, and he said it's guitar treble booster into AC30, and that's what Brian decided needs a treble booster and AC30, and that's been the match that that he's had for well since forever, as far as as we know. Yeah. And um, yeah, he, he always says Rory was great with them, considering you relatively young kids sticking around at the end of the gig asking questions. So yes, yeah. Well, I mean that you know, I mean. Rory, I mean, different sound altogether. I mean, in in the sense that I mean, Rory played a strat, and he got that he got that crisp strat sound through the AC30, which is what you'd expect, really. I mean, he, he his was not an over not a heavily overdriven sound, but um, odd that odd that it should odd odd that it should translate between them. I think because it does it does you know because again actually in a way many ways Rory what Rory Gallagher did was closer to what I feel yeah. was my direction, you know. Um, and, you know, and who isn't a fan of the Fender Stratocaster? Well, definitely. 
<laughs> there are a few people, but we won't talk about them. <laughs> well, they're wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. you, you've as as time's gone on, you you you've been with the band Smile, and you you, you know we've all seen. I guess you would have. You, you were asked to be in Bohemian Rhapsody and re-record your vocals for doing all right. Yes. And you got yeah. you were involved in that. How did you think that that film came out? And your the your, the the younger version of you. Do you think he, he did a, did you justice? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't need to I didn't need to be done justice to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, uh, well, the way I the, the way I interpreted that whole episode was that um, it was unexpected. Uh, I mean, I knew they were making the film. The last I heard of it was when was when there was some fuss with Sasha Baron Cohen and and I I didn't really wasn't really paying attention it would crop up in the media as a some kind of sensationalist thing and I'd look at it and and uh, and say oh yeah right okay fine then one day in March 2000 whenever it was 18 I think it was Brian said oh look he said you don't fancy coming down and having a bash at the vocal and doing all right and I I said well why and so, so, so the explanation I got was that, was that, um, although, um, although Jack Roth was doing was doing a decent enough job of it, and although uh, they were also using some of the original Queen material uh, uh, as as to hybridise the, the 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 eventual track, uh, they felt that it. They felt that it it was erring too much on on the Queen's sophistication side, and that what they really needed was to, to go back to being a bit more visceral, the same way that Smile was. And who to who to call but your friendly neighbourhood bit of rough me. <laughs> so <laughs> so so they called they they. So Brian phoned me, and I think that I mean, I, without joking, joking aside, I think that was gen, genuinely the 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 kind of the prompt was that you know if Tim comes back in and, and inputs in it, and because I played bass as well for it, um, uh, it would it would it would take it away, it would take it away from from the, it would give it a bit a bit of a, a bit of personality, a bit of the looser, rougher personality, and I think that's I think that's true. And if effectively, I mean, I know that the, I mean, people say, oh, what was it like being in the studio with Brian and Roger again? Well, the answer is that didn't happen. I mean, I'd sang my bit, Brian was in the control room. They gave me a bass, they gave me a horrible bass, um, a Gibson, it was all this Gibson, Forsking Gibson, oh, nasty thing. Anyway, and I played the bass, but, and then when I heard the eventual result, I realised that again, it was a complete hybrid of the of the original what i'd done in the studio the queen tracks uh, and and bits and pieces and i think as far as i know they even programmed the drums um but but it fitted the bill it it it, it did it did it did the it made the right it made the right connection i think and i and i was quite happy with that um i mean in fact it probably it probably sanitized the original smile version um a bit more than than it, it should have done but i don't i don't 
uh, but not not to it not not to a destructive degree. I, I mean, I think it was pretty, and, and I felt that the whole. In any case, I felt the whole film was. You know, I mean, I've I've worked for a lot of my life in the film business. Admittedly, I didn't work very much on feature films, but I worked on a lot of commercial films, and I know what I know how narratives go in film, and I know what. I know what you need to do to um, to create to create visual narratives, and I felt that Borat was, was as good as you could get in terms of biographical pick, given the raw material, uh, given Freddie's legacy, everything about it. I thought was the guys that played the band were superb. I mean, Rami was amazing. Um, the, yeah, there were some, there were some parts of it where I remember sitting in the premiere and thinking, "Well, that never happened." But you know, I mean, it's, it, 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 but I could easily have been wrong. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I'm by nature, I'm by nature cynical, and uh, and you know, and in some cases, I might have thought, "Well, that is a, that's a, that's a gilding the lily slightly," or that's. You know, and then they've missed that bit out. You know, but uh, but I think I think the important thing about Borat was that um, the emotional integrity was sustained from beginning to end, and I think that's you know, and like I say, in my experience of m movies, what you aim for, you yeah. you you maintain the emotional integrity, then uh, artistic license is okay in that context. And I just, I thought it was a great film. I, I was walking on air when I left the premiere. I thought, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. No, it was a great, great thing. Definitely was. And it, it's, it's spurred on a brand new generation of Queen fans. And Absolutely. And I'm yeah. guessing, I'd imagine you've found more people trying to follow, find you and, and follow yourself. And Well, that 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 really is i mean there's the sixty four thousand dollar question because that is true and and it and again and that prompts that prompts the question of whether do i pursue that do i pursue that as a as an artist i mean you know there are a number of factors in play here one is that i'm I'm an old guy now, and I mean, I don't. I look at Brian and Roger, and I think, God, how have you got the energy to do that? Because I don't think I could do that. I really don't think I could. But, but also, there's a matter of dignity, you know. I mean, uh, I'd like. I, I'm still a musician. I'm still writing. I'm still a musician. I still play. Uh, I'm. I seem to be hardwired to write songs. I like my songs. I think my songs are are quality quality things i mean it, you know <laughs> indulge me please <laughs> no they are <laughs> definitely no i was having a listen to um so you've got um a couple of new songs coming out later on and in preparation for the podcast your wonderful yeah. daughter cat sent over some some of them and i was having a quick listen before you jumped on and you know, they're, they're great songs so i wish i'd had more time to listen to them before speaking to you, but oh well, no thanks. Oh, I hope so. I mean, uh, um, I, I, oh no, I just 
Paul Stewart. That's my. Can I call you later? Right. <laughs> Sorry, that was. <laughs> now, Paul, can I can I just deviate here for a moment and of just tell you about Paul Stewart? Now, when we were at Hampton, uh, and Brian and I were playing in 1984, the band 1984. We our bass player was uh, Dave Dillaway. Our rhythm guitarist was John Garnham, and our drummer was a guy called Richard Thompson. Uh, unfortunately, Dave, the bass player, and Richard, the drummer, are no longer with us, but John Garnham still is. But our great heroes were the other school band at the time, which was called The Others. Now, The Others were a total success story. They were a bit like a they're a bit like the Stones, a clone of the Stones. They were, but they they looked the part. They were, gr- and they were great players. Now Paul Stewart, who I work with at the moment, was the lead vocalist of the Others, and and we've we've come full circle after all these years. And so uh, Paul and I play gigs um, uh, um, together. Uh, whenever we can. I mean, we're both of us a couple of old fogies, so we, we can't manage too much. But we, you know, we have a band, we, we play, we, we enjoy it, you know, we write together and we, we, we still... Anyway, that's, that, that's my diversion there. That's uh, lovely. It's, it's, yeah. it's great. It's funny how things work out as well. And it's lovely yeah. to get back to that full circle and come back to where you were, especially when I think a lot of us have influences when we're younger and although there are bigger influences maybe later on in life it's often the ones that you remember the most the ones that the first time you the person that made you pick up a guitar or the the, the people you wanted to be like or uh, absolutely absolutely and, I mean, and... Brian knows because Brian knows Paul very well and uh, and the last thing Brian said to me just before Christmas was I must get to see you and Paul play now I mean I doubt whether that will ever occur but it's nice that he that he would express that interest you know that desire i mean who knows it may happen it may happen but my 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 personal musical endeavors are are really independent of paul i mean i have two i have two there are two pathways one is my solo work which is which is not really bluesy it's it's more it's more solely jazzy pop and the other one is the the is the the gigs i do with paul which are really quite bluesy and they but that you know it's just it's just the way it is i i yeah. just enjoy it you know. but does as long as you enjoy it that's got to be the main thing absolutely yeah and indeed. and so just going back tim so you've decided you've been to america you've come back i'm paraphrasing now i'm probably going to mess up the timeline you've decided that you don't want to carry on with smile anymore you've gone yeah. it's all right guys here's freddie mercury you've they'll love you they will <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's that's ridiculous that, that, uh, yeah, no I've, they queen have gone off to do something and you, you've gone off on your own path yeah where do you go next what's your next step because I... my, my next step was a really weird one um because i'd you know the early 70s i was i was beginning to understand i was beginning to understand what we all euphemistically call the groove 
you know, it's something that permeates jazz and it permeates funk and it permeates a lot of blues and 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 in my opinion it doesn't permeate enough rock you know there are there are there are there's a lot of rock that that is rhythmically not you know not to my taste and that's the best i can say about it you know um, <laughs> especially you know, well you know some of the more extreme metal um yeah. uh, incarnations are, i find difficult personally and i i find them you know a bit you know a bit anyway, anyway um so when I joined Morgan, Morgan was the other end of the spectrum altogether. Morgan is a prog rock group. And and Flo Morris, uh, the drummer, was, was actually, um, he, he did understand the groove. A lot of the material that Morgan Fisher was writing was, was being prompted by people like Bartok and Stravinsky. So it was rhythmically complex difficult to play uh, uh and the groove was not the was not the crucial element of it at all but one of the reasons i joined morgan was because i did have a certain leeway to do my own songs as well and and on the two morgan albums um there are there are elements of of my own input which i'm very happy with in fact i'm I'm very uh, proud of the two Morgan albums, even though they are what I would consider to be a bit off message to to my to my eventual direction. But what was the great thing about Morgan was for me was that I got the chance to be a librettist. Uh, M Morgan used to write this material, send it over to me, and I'd be listening to this complex rhythmic. A harmonic stuff and trying to put l lyrics and melodies to it, and I, I sometimes think that was the the absolutely the best um, the best training for lyric writing that I that of anything I could ever imagine, and I think the reason for that was because in the midst of all this complex rhythmic um, exercising, I've found myself discovering ways that I could use colloquial phrases to to inhabit a melody. And that to me has been the single most important feature of, of my lyric writing. It is that you have to you you have to you have to understand the way that lyric meter sits within a melodic meter um it, th there are lots of lyrics i listen to and they don't list they don't do that they 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 i mean they go they go their own way they they the 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 meter of the lyric is not consonant with the meter of the melody that and that's fine and people have their own way of doing things but for me i like to try to i like to try and inhabit the melody of a song with a comfortable colloquial phrase that makes sense, means something, and fits in with the general narrative of the of the actual song itself. It's a crazy thing to say, and it maybe doesn't need saying. It's a pedantic way of explaining how someone writes lyrics. But my time in Morgan was like it was like a degree in how to write lyrics, 
and uh, it was uh, and and uh, as I say, very proud of those albums. I'm still good friends with Morgan Fisher. In fact, I I saw him in Tokyo a couple of years ago. Um, we had dinner, and it was really great because he's lived there for twenty years or more. Well, maybe, maybe even more than forty years, perhaps. But uh, no, and great keyboard player. You know, really um, clever guy. Uh, but yeah, um, so uh, that was that was what happened after after a left smile. And of course, at that time, you know, the the um, the inception of Freddie into Queen was not as depicted in the movie. That's artistic license, that's narrative yeah. license. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, we all knew each other anyway. You know, I mean, when I, as I say, when I went on to tertiary education, I went to Ealing College and who should I meet but Freddie? And we were yeah. good mates. We had a parallel musical musical interest. Um, uh, we evolved. Our, our, our own musical sensibilities evolved parallel pretty much all through college um, until I, uh, like I say, until I became a deviant and went off somewhere else. And 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 Freddie was still on message with with what Smile were doing. And it, it was, and although I think the guys were initially a little bit, they had a bit of trepidation about whether or not they thought Freddie was the guy for them. Well, they they that 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 misconception didn't last for long, thank God. Yeah. And uh, you know, and and not only that, but Freddie had Freddie had this confidence. Um, Freddie had this confidence that was that was you know a pretty amazing thing. I mean, uh, he wasn't that confident in in an academic uh, situation at college, but but he kind of it was developing as he. Went and you knew, you knew, you know, and he and he he used to, he used to camp it up a bit and say, oh, "Someday, darling, I'm going to be a star." And you know, most of the people in the group would say, "Yes, yeah, sure, you are, Freddie," you know. But kind of, he did that. That was a that was a core value. That confidence with him was a was a core value, you know. And and I might even have made light of it at the time and thought, "Oh, yeah, that's pretty superficial, isn't it?" But he was so right. He was so right. And what you see, what he understood, what Freddie understood was, and which it took me until I was about 70 to understand, was that your job as a musician is to entertain. It's not to educate. And I'm afraid I spent a lot of my life thinking, oh, yes, but we've got to, you know, you know purism, you know. Is we, we... And, I, and Freddie knew about entertainment early on and he was able to uh he was able to turn his personality and his presence into being you know the the british entertainer of the last century probably yeah you know definitely and it, it as you you progressed on tim and you, you left and you went to and um, played with morgan and as you've gone on for the rest of your career to do some other things which we'll come on to have you always kept in touch not necessarily kept in touch with the members but have you followed queen's trajectory or have you sort of uh, just known about yeah, it and yeah not not probably not as closely as as one might think um uh, uh it's been i mean my my wife and my kids have fo probably followed the trajectory closer than I have, in the sense that um, 
I we we have a number of Queen. I don't have all of Queen's albums. We have a number of their albums here, and I've got all of Brian's albums. Um, and I I think the days when we were closest, um, we were closest to 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 following Queen were was in the days when my kids were young, um, which would have been the eighties. Um, and and you know we would we would we would play Queen material in the car uh, a lot and and you know and um, and and I and you know you kind of you drift you drift in and out of of connections with things um, uh, and I haven't really I haven't really well the, apart from anything else since they stopped making making new material i've slightly gone off the boil a bit because actually i would love to hear some new material you know i mean uh i i i do find myself playing some of the uh, my favorite old songs um but uh, but i i wish they would do some new stuff yeah. I, brian i think it was roger said that they started to write some new stuff down in in Montreux, um, but then uh, it, then they 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 let it let it ride, and that no nothing came of it. And I think that's a bit of a shame. I went to see um, Rogers' uh, tour last. It must be God. It must be a year a year ago. Getting close, isn't it? To... Yeah, getting close to a year ago. We we saw. We saw the last night of the tour at the O2 at Shepherd's Bush. You know, that was great. I mean, uh, um, and Brian came on there and I just kept thinking, oh, come on, I want some new material. You know, <laughs> but uh, well, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, uh, I mean, because on the other hand, you, you, you might think to yourself, well, why, why would they need to? Why would they need to? You know, that, that they're, they are they are a legacy act with you know and and people as you quite rightly said you know the the movie is has opened up a whole new uh uh, uh spectrum of, of of fans um so did we will rock you so did the musical yeah, and the music still going you know yep. uh so so maybe you know new material is New material is a luxury they don't want to be able to afford. Yeah, you know, um, it's an interesting like one for sure. Some. I still like to hear some though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, well, actually, I kind of, I kind of like to. Maybe I'd, I'd quite like to maybe write with Brian. You know. Yeah. yeah I'd like well, to, because in the old days, Brian and I were on the on the same wavelength. You know, step on me and doing all right are. Pretty, wow, pretty good songs. Yeah, very good. Know. I'd say um, it's worth a worth a phone call or an email. Yes. Have I? Have I? Have I confident enough? <laughs> you just got to do it, Tim, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, definitely, yeah. you got to put. Well, definitely. I think you might. Yeah. You never know. You don't know unless you ask. Do you? That's something. That I've. No, it's true. I, 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 like I said earlier. I mean, uh, um, you know, one of the things that that's that's bothered me all the way through which has kept me a little bit at arm's length is that i've been terrified uh, terrified's a bit strong but i've been very conscious of the fact that that in terms of 
in terms of reflected glory, um, if I overstep the mark too much, it could be a very undignified thing indeed. And I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to butt my head in where it where it wasn't needed and wasn't wanted. You know, I I I I I appreciate that they would have probably have been very polite and respected my the my 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 legacy rights if you like but still i didn't want to do that because because you know every successful band in the world has got the guy who got chucked out just before they got famous so you know what sets me apart i mean well, uh, maybe well i don't know there's maybe a few things you could you could look at slightly, slightly differently but i get why you're yeah, where your headspace is on that. It's a bit of a devil's advocate thing, really, by for me saying that because yeah. I, I, you know, I, it, I've always been a bit nervous about it. You know, um, I remember, um, I remember once uh, it, it was brought home to me. It was in the late eighties, well, mid eighties. It was in the mid eighties, and I was working on a commercial. I was working on a commercial for Burger King and the director of the commercial was David Mallet. Now, David Mallet um, directed, what's the, well, what's the, I can't remember now, what's the Queen video where, where Freddie is wearing the red, red uh, costume with the eyes? Oh, I can see uh, the photo in my head. I really should know this. Yeah. Um, that, that was directed by David Mallet as well, and and uh, to be honest, I, I found da David Mallet very very difficult to work with, and what kept and I knew who he was and I knew about, you know but what kept going through my mind was, you know oh dear me I'm, what am I reduced to, I'm reduced to dealing with this crap you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so and it, and it did and it was kind of and I and I and at that point I thought I, you know I, I I don't I should, maybe I should maybe I should never ever mention it again anywhere that you know that I had I was involved you know I I don't want the I don't want the humiliation of being of feeling of feeling so inferior. <laughs> I yeah I can see I think from all of our perspective you were there at the beginning and you like. The catalyst to get them going and and yes I, I, I know that's yeah I mean but, that, that... But, but I can well imagine at certain times you'd have looked at it especially in that situation and just thought oh what, what's going on yeah, because because people say to me uh you know well I mean I've had people say to me you know nudge me and say oh, there's a decision you regret isn't it and and I mean actually that's not so because because Queen didn't exist when I when I left, and 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 I had no um, and I had no inclination that um, I had no inclination that they were going to reach the heights that they did, yeah. and even if I had, it probably wouldn't have m made any difference to my uh, my views because my views were based on a different something different altogether. Yeah. Which was you know, where I personally wanted to go, yep. and 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 so w when they did become uh, famous, uh, 
by God, I, yes, I was envious when they when it when it all kicked off. Yeah, I was envious. Who wouldn't be? But uh, but I like to say that I, I was never destructively jealous. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was I was green. I was emerald green with envy. But I hope it never translated into bitterness and um, uh, and jealousy. And I, I, it, I, it never did. I mean, I'm well. I, I mean, I, I may have, I may have been lying around drunk at a party in some instance, and and, and been in a conversation where I, where I might have said, "Bastards!" But I was never seriously. I was never seriously. Um, anything other than supportive you know definitely allowed that though the uh, drunken <laughs> drunken <laughs> yes. claim we'll, we'll let you off that one i think yeah i mean i the thing is I, I i look back on what i've done personally uh, and i've had fun i've had a lot of fun the film business was massive fun you know i i've I been a model maker massive fun i was you know chief model maker on tommy the tank engine almost best job ever in the world playing with big toy trains you know what please you know and then and then you know and then i i had my own business i worked when was in partnership uh and we made we made models and sets and uh we animated things and we and i sculpted and i made things and i've just had such a great hands-on um experience you know and and although even coming back to music i mean after i came back to music i then was i then took a job as a university lecturer for 10 years doing theater design and i got immersed in in theater and and musicals you know and and i mean that in itself was another whole facet of this uh, of the career that i've had you know and yeah. um I cannot honestly say. I cannot honestly say that I'm disappointed, comparatively in what I've done, in comparison to what Queen have done. Yeah. I'm just deadly jealous about the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very honest. It's a very honest answer to, <laughs> to a difficult question. But one one of these days, when I win the lottery, it will all be all right. Well, I think as well, money's one thing, and I know it makes lots of things easier. But I, I think it's it doesn't it doesn't bring you happiness really, and it's oh yeah, it, it helps you remove certain issues and be able to answer certain questions. But you still get problems, and you get other problems. And I think, um, yeah, yeah, I I actually agree. I'm I'm there's. I don't know. I don't know how the guys. Um, I mean, I assume that they. I assume that they do have tensions and and. Um, and well, I mean, I know that you know. I mean, I've spoken to Brian. I know that he's had, anxiety. You know, he's had, he's had quite severe anxieties over the years. Um, uh, I, I don't know about Roger. I mean, Roger strikes me as possibly being a bit more of a hedonist than, than than. Um, than Brian and I've been, you know, I've been, I, I've socialised with Roger not for a long time now, but you know, we we get on fine. I mean, um, but I, I suspect, I suspect that there's a certain level of income that one can aspire to, which doesn't carry with it 
the massive responsibilities that enormous incomes do yeah. that, that removes the the obstacles that removes the obstacles that cause you anxiety without supplanting it with others that <laughs> create greater anxiety yeah. you know I'm just below that level. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And it's it's just interesting yeah. listening to you talk about it and being really open and candid with it, Tim. It's it's really yeah. refreshing to hear someone be so honest. And I was gonna ask you about um your career in film and career model making and and, and knowing you worked on Thomas the Tank Engine and what a fantastic thing to have been able to do in your life as well and look back on and and think you'd well, played a part in something that not only is is iconic, but has brought joy to so many children for many generations. And I, yeah. I often, I often think if people don't point those things out to to people, that you don't look at. We all don't look at what we've done as you know. I'm just myself. I've done. I haven't done anything special. I'm just me. And you sometimes need someone to go. Actually, that that thing you did has changed the lives of a whole generation of of yeah. young people in this country that that don't forget that because that's that's a massive thing to have done yeah i i guess so i mean the, you, you know that this whole business about um there, there are two things about tommy the tank engine and especially those years i think one is that um one is that my, my role as supervisor was much less hands-on than than uh than a lot of the the top quality guys that were working on that project. I mean, I'm I'm actually not the model maker that most of them were. Most of them are near genius people with craft skills that you wouldn't believe. You know, I'm 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 a competent sculptor, and I did sculpt most of the faces for the initial series and all of the little characters, the human characters. So that was that was my m- most of my practical input the rest of my and maybe and a certain amount of the set building with the the slopes and the buildings and the grass and that but uh, but i i my skills pale to insignificance against some of the guys that were working on it i i was just there in a in an in a, in a supervisory capacity most of the time uh I said that i probably pretty well and and in in situations like that i'm i'm probably quite good at finding way through to the most efficient way of doing something. Even if I'm not that good at doing it myself, I can facilitate things by, well, po- possibly by uh, the employment of useful rhetoric and, and uh, you know, and, um, but, and but diplomacy. That, but that's a skill in itself. And without, well, people, yeah. without people doing that, you can't have these inspirational model makers doing what they're doing because they they can't communicate with the level above and it's a i hope that i hope that i've been that kind of that kind of uh notional interpreter you know in situations like that the other thing about those years which of course is probably not not so um uh not so uh joyful in terms or not so positive is that in those days, we were working as freelancers, uh, the, especially in the TV special effects business, uh, which for me lasted from about 1978 right the way up to almost 2000. 
um, uh, we were working as freelancers. That is to say that we our employment was not secure. Mm. I mean, we worked mm. on contracts. Uh, if you once you finished one job, you were on to the next. If you were lucky, there was no gap. I mean, it's a bit like builders not turning up because they've gone on to the next job so that they can maintain a, uh, a continuity. You know, yeah. it, was, it was quite difficult to to attain continuity of employment in those days. And so what you tended to do as a result was take on everything and anything that was offered to you. You'd work all weekend, you'd work late nights, you'd work as much as you possibly could because you couldn't afford to have three weeks off when the two when two jobs didn't dovetail. Yeah. And the result of that was that I feel that I it's arguable that I neglected my young family in terms of the dad who wasn't there. And sometimes when we have words, my wife flags that up. <laughs> and I and I don't resent her for doing that. I think she's she's got a serious point. But I think that's a bit of a syndrome with a lot of people that work freelance. I don't think I was on my own at all. And I regret it. But I but in order for us to maintain a degree of financial security through our lives, it was necessary. You know. And yeah. but I'd still but it I it still makes me wince from time to time <laughs> well again what a great answer because it's an honest real it's a real answer and it's it's um yeah. it's a sign of the times and things have changed for sure I've, yeah. i'd say those sorts of things have improved i've got a brother-in-law who's a stuntman um and he works job to job and he yeah. gets a contract for two weeks while they work on something then he might not get another job for three months and so i know that's that's the fear he has to take the work when he can. We used to say, we used to say, or used to jokingly to each other, that's it, the job's finished, I'll never work again. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, and, and it, but, 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 but what it did do, though, um, what it did do, though, was it, 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 it promoted the idea that the best thing you can do in a creative career is to learn how to network. You know, because because that's what you would you need the contacts. You have got to get as many contacts as possible, and and you've got to keep contact with your contacts. You've got to phone them up when you're not working. You've got to you've got to pester. I mean, it's the same with getting gigs. Yeah, networking in the music business, even the, the reduced level that I do it on. I in fact, I'm going to phone up Swanage Blues Festival in a minute and try and get on that again this year because um it's uh it we need we need gigs yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's a great skill to have and i think it's um it's those unforeseen bits of work that happen that make people successful or that enable you to continue to work and it's it's the hidden bits that you don't see on the outside that you know it, the, the, whether it's a film or you're making a model for something or you're making a um I don't know, a, a song, you're writing a song, or you're even trying to get guests on a podcast. There's bits yes, and pieces yeah. of work that go on behind the scenes to get to the point yeah. of of delivery that people don't aren't aware of. And it, it's those things that are the hard bits that if you can yeah. 
can keep your focus and, and keep going on then you you reap the rewards later on but um no it's it's just nice that you're so honest it's, it's great not that i've had people that aren't it's just refreshing to to speak to someone well, who's who's taken a look I, back and and is aware of the situation uh, i mean i i but i also think you know in that respect i i i tend to think that um uh in order for, to, to maintain one's integrity, uh, and it's always been important that I do, um, your greatest weapon is truth. Um, because it's no point in conning yourself. Well, you know, some people, maybe some people's success is predicated on, on the fact that they, that they have maintained an illusory self-belief, maybe. Uh, but I'm afraid with me, I I tend to use truth as a weapon. You know, I, I because if I'm if I tell the truth, I can't feel guilty. Uh, even if it means that I drop myself in it, uh, it, it I still can't feel guilty. And up to me, guilt is the m most horrible feeling. You know, I mean, yeah, there are times when I've there are times when I've done something that. I look back on it and I thought, God, I wish I hadn't done that. That oh, that was unfair. And and I'm afraid I find that the the feelings of guilt, you know, in a situation like that where maybe you 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 don't have a choice. Um, uh, so really, when I'm when I'm when I'm trying to um, uh, talk about the you know the past, especially the past in a situation that could potentially be misinterpreted, it's important for me to use the truth as to weaponize the truth because that way I can't be accused of anything. I can't yeah. be accused of dishonesty. I can't be accused of maliciousness, can't be accused of bitterness. You know, and it's important that in the my situation as this kind of legacy legacy character that um that I that I'm not accused of any of that, you know. Yeah, definitely. Well I think you're doing a great job. So thank you. Um Moving on to more recent times, you've decided, or not decided, that sounds like you weren't doing it, but you've come back into music a bit more. You've talked about playing live gigs um, and you've got a new, some new songs coming out and a new song out in February. So if we get our timings right, we should be launching the podcast around the, the new songs coming that'd, out. That'd be great, yeah. Um, Talk well, us through about... where you are with that and what what that process has been like and Okay. Uh, well, just just as as a um, just as a uh, as a preamble to that, I just a, a word or two about the Amigo and the Too Late albums. Um, the reason the Amigo album came out, or the reason I decided to make the Amigo album, was because I had a bunch of songs dating back for the thirty year period when I hadn't been act, rec actively recording. Although I had been playing in little scratch bands and doing, you know, amateur bits and pieces here and there. But the Amigo was my first, Amigo was my first serious return to recorded music and songwriting. I, I had to add some modern songs to the legacy stuff. The songs like Stray, Earth, Doing All Right. Um, uh, God, I can't remember what, oh yeah, Why Can't We Be Free? There's a bunch of songs on that first album that were old that were that predate the 70s 
that I that I revisited for the Amigo album. And then there were another bunch of songs that were written especially for it. Um, once we released that, it, it kind of opened the floodgates for me. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to keep writing. And I, it, it triggered me writing again, basically. And so a, a few years after that, I'd written all the stuff for um, Too Late. And we released two, we were able to release Too Late at around the same time that Bo Rap came out. Even actually, though, it had been in the can for some time. Um, but uh, around about the time we released that, I also bumped into Paul Stewart again and the guys from the others. And their guitar player had left. Peter Hamilton, who was actually a contemporary of Brian's, um, uh, uh, one could one could arguably say there isn't a body of opinion that arguably says that that Brian was very influenced by Peter Hamilton. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's true. Um, oh, I've just got to say to Cat, no, I'm not finished. Uh, <laughs> and, and don't feel pressured because I'm not feeling pressured. Um, uh, so I met uh, the guys in, uh, in in from the others who 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 had just lost their guitar player, and they said, "Well, look, do you want to do you want to play guitar?" And so I said, "Yeah, okay, let's let's do it." And so we so that they they would they had called them they had re they had reformed as the others uh produced doing legacy gigs doing doing a you know revisiting old things and so they changed their name we changed our name since i joined to big steam so we were now called big steam and we made a, an ap i think and we did some gigs we did we did a couple of tours of croatia short tours of Croatia, we 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 played in France a few times, um, uh, and and then it and then as always, it becomes quite difficult to keep a band on the a five piece band on the road financially, with you know especially if the, the gigs are starting to be in in the south of France or or mid France or um, Croatia, it's starting to get expensive, so. A couple of the members just said, oh, I can't, you know, I can't be trudging through the rain and the snow to play at wherever for for a hundred quid. It's, it's, I'm not doing this anymore. So they, so I was left with Paul Stewart. And so Paul and I um, said, well, let's just carry on as a duo because the, you know, the running costs are nothing like uh, what they are for a band. Uh, I don't mind putting money into it. it. You know, I don't mind subsidizing it. He didn't mind subsidizing. So we carried on as a duo. And then from time to time, we would then buy a rhythm section in and use a rhythm section. So we'd have an electric band again. And that's where it sits at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, but having said that, uh, and we do some of my material with the, with the Paul Stewart incarnation, but the other side of my coin is me as a solo artist um, uh, and the um, the Wayward Child album, uh, which is a lyric. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a bit of a double entendre because um, you, arguably I'm the Wayward Child from the Queen family who 
you know, I'm the prodigal son who buggered <laughs> off and uh, and returned returned fifty years later broke. <laughs> no, um, uh, uh, no. The, the Wayward Child is a lyric on one of the songs, um, and it ref actually the the Wayward Child lyric refers to time. Time is a wayward child. And uh, and it, but it seemed the, there's an ambiguity there that that kind of fits the situation. So, um, so uh, it represents it represents my current songwriting, um, which as as I I th I think I know what genre it's in, but but I'm not sure. I, I, so I, I think I have to leave it to everybody else to, to tell me what kind of genre it sits in. Or if it doesn't sit in any genre, then it means that it's it's original. And I can live with that as well. I used to say I was, um, I was uh, heavily influenced by Stevie Dan. And it may be that, on Amigo and Too Late, there's evidence of that. But I think I think less so now. I think I'm slipping into a kind of a solely groove. Um, and, and, in, and actually what's happening is I'm becoming more confident that I can that I can write songs that where where I'm where I'm I'm less concerned about the structure. Although heavens above, I am concerned about song structure, but I'm more concerned about real real lyrics. And in fact, a lot of the stuff on Wayward Child is personal. And and I never used to write personal lyrics until until maybe midway through, too late, and then. And then it became important for me to actually put down a couple of statements that that uh, indicate how I feel about my own life. Uh, I'd not done that before. I'd I'd written little stories, you know, and little little or, or little political. I mean, the land, for instance, on 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 Amigo is an eco hymn, if you like. It's about it's a you know I mean I sometimes think I should re-release that because it's it's all about it's all about the fact that it's about global warming it's about pollution it's about the ecosystem it's uh, you know it's um it's a plea for plea for sanity um and and it would be quite topical now but but in the middle of too late I I started to write songs about my emotional life. And I think that's carried on into Wayward Child. Um, there's a there is one song, there's one song to, called "Tomorrow Is Another Day," on Wayward Child, which is actually so painful. <laughs> it's so painful that I, I, sometimes when I play it, I I wonder whether I'm embarrassing people. Uh, it's it, it, it's the lyrics are not necessary. They're not they're not it's not hot story lyrics or anything it's it's just it's just it's just very heartfelt for me and it's and it's and it's very true it's really it's a tr it's a true story it's a very true story and 
and it's a plea. It's kind of a plea. It's a plea from plea from me myself to 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 accept the truth of my situation. Um, I, that, that maybe that's just, it, it. It's quite and it's a bit maudlin as well. <laughs> but you know, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I shouldn't uh, shouldn't admit things like that. I I don't know. Uh, um, I I sometimes wonder whether my my material is is a little is even though it's it's not all personal. I sometimes wonder whether it's a little bit it 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 it, it, it tends to exclude audience rather than include audiences because that's the one thing I used to think Freddie and Queen was that geez how the hell are they so good at including audiences in in with their presence you know because you know that Freddie would come out on stage the band would come out on stage and they just enfold the audience in their in their in their whole presence and I'm thinking I'm not doing that I'm t I'm effectively telling people it's a miserable bloody world, <laughs> so, you know, and we're all trying to do this. So you know, maybe that's uh, maybe that's it. <laughs> well, you've definitely <laughs> sold it to everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> so if um yeah. if if we want to go and find that Tim, when's it coming out, and where will we be um, able to get hold of it, and how are you release? Is it just digital release, or are you uh, doing a it's i'm not going to in, i mean the other two albums have been uh have been cd's and digital um uh, but you know but that's really rather pointless and since since i keep stubbing my toe on the boxes of cd's under my bed uh, that are left over um i think the time has come to um to look at to look at not not doing cd's at least not until not until it it maybe becomes important to 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 have some have some product, but at yeah. the moment it's not. And I we're going to at the moment the plan is to drop the first single, which is called the Sinner, on 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 or around February the seventeenth. Okay, um, and, and then um, and, and so that will appear on Spotify and on all digital platforms, and then I think a, a single a month. Or, or, or approximately a single a month for about four months, and then early summer. I think what we'll do is we'll drop the whole album, um, and then <clears throat> we may we may then release singles after the album's dropped. Although you might, although you might say, well, what, what, why are you doing that? But the reason for that is I think that if we release singles separately, it, it gives the opportunity to focus on them. For sync, and for any and for anything else that um, might uh, you, you know they might be useful for. So, I mean, generally, by the summer the album will be available on Spotify, and it, it, we're going to lead up to it with a, uh, a series of singles. Ideal, and the best way to obviously we can go and look for your name, Tim Staffel, on Spotify. But I know you've got a very active Instagram account as well, where you're posting up and. Been behaving very stupidly on TikTok for a number of weeks now, and that's going to continue. <laughs> uh, but I love it. I, I love it, and uh, and I should actually say, yeah, the the Amigo and Too Late are available on Spotify and digital platforms. But there is also 
an album called How High that I recorded with Paul Stewart. Um, and there's a number of my songs on there that I'm particularly proud of as well. Uh, so I um, well, and there's some Paul Stewart, there's some great Paul Stewart stuff on there as well, and a selection of covers, blues covers. But uh, my, the, the whole canon of my writing does include that album too. So um, I just stress to everybody, ha have a listen. I'm on yep. Bandcamp. You can download on Bandcamp as well. You can actually still buy CDs on Bandcamp. And if you want to, you can buy um, uh, T-shirts. I've got a deal with Printify. Is it no Printful? Uh, whereby you can still buy Smile T-shirts. You can buy Humpy Bong T-shirt if you want to. Um, but you can also buy T-shirts that illustrate the have the cover designs of Too Late and Amigo on. And there's a lot of legacy stuff on. I use that word a lot, don't I? There's a lot of legacy tracks on there that, that are that predate the Amigo album that go back into the past, which are nevertheless quite interesting. There's a, actually a Humpy Bong track on there. There's some stuff from a band I had in the 70s called Tail Feather. Um, there's there's a there's quite a bit of stuff for people that might be interested, and I think the majority of it is pretty good. Definitely, and the bits I've listened to uh, from Wayward Child have been. I mean, I literally, unfortunately, only had about ten minutes listening to them, but I was enjoying them until your face popped up on Zoom, and I think I must must answer that. That's important. <laughs> no worries. No, well, I do hope you enjoy it. I mean, like I say. I don't know where it sits in the vast scheme of things. Um, uh, I enjoyed recording it. I was very, very uh, grateful and impressed with the um, with the production team of Oscar. Oh, what's Oscar? What's your second name? Oh, well, you know who I mean. I love you dearly, and Jason, who were the production team on the. Uh, on the album in Barcelona and the wonderful music I worked with. Uh, I, I it, it actually liberated me from my preconceptions about what I could do uh, into allowing me to make the album Wayward Child, which I think is some somewhat of a departure. I think it's a little more sophisticated than I'd previously been involved with, but I put that down to Oscar telling me that that's where I should be going. And I, at that moment in time, I think I agree. No, it's, I'm looking forward to getting some more time to listen to the rest of them, Tim, and to listen to the singles as they come out across this year and then finally download and listen to the album. Um, right. It's, it's great to, to talk to you about the where everything started and then where it's gone and how you change your thoughts and learn and where you've got to now and what, what that's how it's inspired you from your own perspective and point of view of the story of or your part on, in the story so it's, it's great to to well, see I, I, see that path and that it's not been a linear thing for you and it, it's been up and down but you've you've ended up where you are and you and you're you're doing good things well i, I do hope that um I mean, I, I've, I've been, I've, I've always been a bit sensitive about the slight grasshopper aspect of my brain. Well, um, uh, in, in terms of, you know, tr 
running a linear narrative. And I hope I haven't confused you or confused anybody about, you, you know, the directness of the narrative. I hope it's made sense. Definitely. Um, I hope I've covered everything that is significant um, it, about I think you've done a great job. And it's um, it's been a pleasure talking to you tonight. Um, it's been great to talk to you as well. Thank you. I think you asked a lot. Of, if I may say so, th this has been one of the most enjoyable in interview stroke podcasts I've ever had. Uh, if you've let me, you've let me waffle on, and I think I've, I think I've had one or two insights during the course of this that, that I've not been aware of, of having in past interviews, and I'm hoping that will inform the overall picture um, to, to, to a, a better degree than I've been able to do in the past. It's um, I find letting guests talk and asking the odd question and trying to steer things, you get the best out of people because if no one wants to hear me, <laughs> well, I know I... where I stand in all of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but my my role is to try and help you remember things from the past or to to. Put... I think it worked really well. Yeah. No, thank you, um, Tim. It's been fantastic. I'm going to say goodbye, but please stay on. And <laughs> thank you so much yeah. for for being on the the Red Special Guitar Podcast, Tim. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It's been a it's been a lot of fun, actually. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And uh, keep safe, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon when you've got your brand new Brian May Red Special. Oh, absolutely! Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, let's go forwards towards the, the summer with the renewed optimism and some new and some new music in the summer and that we can all listen to indeed thanks tim keep safe Bye for now and what a wonderful episode that was with tim thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast it's a real treat for us all and to to hear some of those stories from the early days of brian and the red special and then hear you be so candid about life and your own experiences and some of the questions people have asked you and where you feel you fit into all of this was absolutely amazing. I really, really feel honoured that you felt that you could share that with me and it was an absolutely fantastic discussion that we had. Um, hopefully everyone watching will agree. Now, if, if you've enjoyed today's episode, then I'd really like to think that you would consider subscribing and liking the channel. It really helps the channel grow and there's no reason not to if you've enjoyed it. Also, please make sure you check out our Patreon. We also have a website where you can check out merch and there are some upcoming events in the recent future. In March in 2023, in the Linga Longa Lounge in Phoenix, Arizona, is the US Red Special Meetup hosted by Luke Holwerder. And it's well worth going over to see if you've never been to one and you're in that part of the world at that point. Absolutely fantastic group of people. Um, you get to meet Mr. Andrew Hernandez, who helps edit the this podcast. And he is an absolute legend, so make sure you go and meet him if for nothing else and also make sure you follow all of his social media accounts and talking of social media you may have seen if you are on tiktok that the red special guitar podcast has now entered the world of tiktok and we're really excited to see where that can go we hope you can go and follow us over there and see what we're posting up and make sure you follow us on facebook and instagram as well and also go and check out the website where you can see lots of merch that's coming up for sale and also any details on the UK Red Special Guitar Meetup, which is the most emailed thing. Um, and please keep your eyes out for new podcast episodes coming really soon. We're hoping to get a few more out a bit quicker this time. 
and in 2023 and do a few other videos. And as you can see, we're starting to put something together here. It's not quite finished yet, but keep watching and we'll keep updating. And hopefully you will enjoy what the Red Special Guitar Podcast has to bring in 2023. That's enough rambling from me. You stay safe and I'll catch you in the next one.